The first big men's work that most men have to do at some point in their life is to deal with the father-son wound. I mean, that sort of began deep men's work as Robert Michael Mead and James Hillman taught it. And as I taught it early on in my conferences, that that in order to be to do be a man, you have to do men's work that is uh, consisting of healing this father-son wound that most men, including myself, was in denial about still uh, perpetrating on the people that we love. Welcome to Men This Way, the podcast for every man who seeks to live his deepest purpose in life who's committed to showing up fully and giving his unique gifts to the world. Because if not you, then who? I'm your host and fellow journeyman, Brian Reeves. Brian with a Y, Reeves. Men, this way. I'm super excited about today's episode because I'm talking with a true wise elder, John Lee a psychotherapist and author who was a pioneer in the men's movement that began in the 70s and 80s. He wrote landmark books such as The Flying Boy and At My Father's Wedding, and he's been working intimately with men, speaking at big conferences, facilitating men's gatherings and men's groups, and working with men in his therapist's office for decades now. And John Lee also happens to be my personal therapist. Yep, I've been working with John for about the last nine months or so. I was connected to him by one of my coaching clients, actually, Sean Hotchkiss, who also appeared on Men This Way, this podcast, a few months back, episode 83. Sean had worked with John previously, and he knew that I'd been badly wanting to work with an older man, as I've long felt and been aware of the painful void of being disconnected from any wise male elders. And when I first walked into this 72-year-old man's home office in Austin, I was immediately greeted by a menagerie of pictures and paintings showcasing a lifetime of living hung all over his wood-paneled walls. I smelt the musky scent of leather furniture and felt a deep ease and stillness just oozing through his space. Within just 60 seconds of just opening my mouth to talk with the man, tears began to flow because I've long felt abandoned by the older men in my life. My, my actual father is living in a fantasy world of spiritual fundamentalist narcissism that I can't really reach him through. And I have other older men in my life, and, and they're great for some laughs, even financial support, but wisdom that really relates to how I want to live, well, they come from a different era, from like different universes, and they don't really seem so interested in bridging to mine. So wisdom pertinent to my life? Not so much. I was on the verge of having an older male mentor once. Bob Duggan was his name, a brilliant man who was a pioneer in bringing acupuncture and the wisdom of Chinese five elements medicine to the U.S. back in the 60s. But Bob died of pneumonia just a few months after we really started connecting more regularly and intimately. And I was profoundly heartbroken. And I've had a lot of men, even older men, look up to me and hold me as a sort of elder to them, which I'm always flattered by and honored that I can help older men. Still, I need wiser elder men to help me, not just find my way in life, but to feel deeply rooted to the blessed life I already have. I don't know. There's just something about being witnessed and supported by older, wiser, trustable men who don't want to just always tell me what I should do, like that's my dad's favorite pastime, but who can really listen deeply to my experiences as a man and offer, only when invited, meaningful and thoughtful reflections of their own experiences and insights that can help me make sense of what I'm going through. I mean, who better to get insight from, even advice, than someone who's not just been in a man's body longer than I have, but who's done a lot of introspective work to actually learn the most profound lessons from their experiences of being a man much longer than I have. It kind of makes sense that would be helpful, no? It seems to me all of us men would benefit from that. That's why I even created this podcast. Because I know so many of us men also experience the void, the, the painful and utter disconnect from true wise male eldership in our life. 
Well, John is the closest I have today to a consistent, wise male elder, and I'm honored to share his wisdom and insights with you today. It's a rich conversation, and I think you'll enjoy it and be served deeply by it. One last thing before we dive in, if you haven't already, consider getting my book, Choose Her Every Day or Leave Her. It's written for men and women. It's now available in audiobook as well. In fact, some of the highest praise I've gotten on the book was from today's guest, John Lee. He's a successful author himself, and after our first session or two, he ordered my book, actually read it, and then told me in our next session that he'd wished he had that book 50 years ago in his 20s. It was high praise from a man I deeply respect, and it meant so much to me. And there's been a lot of praise for Choose Her Every Day or Leave Her. And I know for some men especially, the women deeply get it right away, but some men can initially be confronted by by what I write in that book because it's an honest look about the challenges we men face in our relationships. And it's an honest reveal around what we must learn if we're ever to really succeed at them. Choose her every day or leave her. A guide for your journey through the transformational fires of love and intimacy. It's available on Amazon, Audible, even Spotify now, pretty much wherever you get your books and audiobooks. Or go to brianreeves.com, Brian with a Y, reeves.com slash book to find purchase links all over the world. And if you're a man who really wants or needs more urgent support in an important relationship that you're struggling with, definitely consider reaching out to me about my six-month live coaching program, Elevate Your Relationship. It's like a boot camp for men to get their relational butts in shape. And if you want to learn how to show up more powerfully, be more present, practice skillful communication, and create real connection with your partner, Elevate Your Relationship can help you do that. Go to www.elevaterelationship.com and fill out the application. Again, it's elevaterelationship.com. Notice the program's called Elevate Your Relationship, Elevate Your Relationship, but the actual website is just Elevate Relationship. Somebody else uh, got elevateyourrelationship.com, so that ain't our website, and I wish them the best. ElevateRelationship.com. Fill out the application on that page and we'll get back to you ASAP to support you on your journey to thriving in relationship, which I say is your birthright. Now, back to my conversation with John Lee. Take a deep breath and stay present with us all the way through to the end of this episode of Men This Way. All right, let's dive. John Lee. Sir, welcome to Men This Way. Truly, it is a, a true honor and privilege to have you on. I'm really glad you're here. Thank you for coming on. Oh, Brian, it's my privilege and I'm glad to be with you. I really thank you for having me. Yeah. You know, when I when I conceived of this podcast way back in the day, uh, back in 2018, uh, boy, was that almost five years ago now, um, the intention was, was you know, I, I was aware that I didn't have any I really didn't have any wise elders to look up to, you know, I had, I had older people in my life and, and, and I think I had wise elder women, but looking around, I just couldn't really connect with any of the older men that I was in, in any kind of connection to. And, and so, you know, getting to work with you these past, what, six, nine months or so, man, you have been an answer to a prayer. Oh, wow. So it made my day. So to be able to also invite you on now and, and, and have a conversation with you in this format, in this way, uh, I'm really eager and excited and, and I'm excited to share you with my audience because I know the same condition exists for my audience. Too few true wise elders, whatever the hell that means, right? Yeah, yeah. Too few mentors, you know, elders that can share all the mistakes we've made over the years. Yeah. So, and, and I'll, you know, in the introduction, I will have sang your praises uh, and, and, and said some things about you. And, and but what I'd like to do to, to get us started is to help my audience get to know the man uh, behind, you know, your story a bit. Uh, please tell us uh, uh, about a significant event or experience in, from your early life that played a fundamental role in shaping you as a man. Well, you know... I would have to say that my grandfather, 
my father's father, who made all kinds of mistakes with my father when he was a boy. Mm. But by the time I got to my grandfather as a boy, uh, that old man had changed quite a bit. And, and Granddaddy Lee, as I would have called him, uh, was gentle. Uh, he was uh, religious, you know, and again, in the best sense, he went to church, and, but not beating you over the head with it or proselytizing. Um, and he was very, very kind to me. And it took me many years before I understood that part of the reason he was so kind to me was he did such a lousy job with my dad. Mm. Um, but um, my granddaddy would, would let me be with him, hang out with him. And uh, we, would watch, we would watch hee-haw and, and fake wrestling on Saturdays and the Lester Flat and Earl Scruggs show. And, and he'd take me to town and he'd buy me a Dr. Pepper or Coca-Cola. And, uh, and it, was, it was major in my life, so major that when he died at 13, when I was 13, um, that was my first real experience with grief. Mm. It just broke my heart to have him gone. But the truth is, Brian, that I've had more men in my life than I sometimes think about. He's the first. When I was 16, I, I sold uh, clothes in a, in a store part-time because I was already making my money by 12. And, and the manager of the store showed me how to, how to do it. And then when I was 18, I, tra- I went over to this bigger, better, more exclusive store, and the owner took me under his wing. Um, now, none of these people were emotionally expressive, but so I didn't get that part from them, but I learned from them. And, and they, they would, you know, at 16, the manager would take me on, on clothing buying sales in New York. And then at 18, 19, the owner of the store did the same thing. And then uh, when I went back to college at 23, uh, the minister at the Wesleyan Foundation, uh, he and I spent time together, hung out. Again, no discussion of emotional or trauma issues or any of that. Uh, and then when I went to graduate school at the University of Alabama, Don Noble in the English department, Pat Green in the Religious Studies department, a couple of people, Reed Badger in the American Studies, they took me under their wing. Now, what that meant is we would go out and drink beer together. Mm. But there was no real reason why they did that with me and, and not others. Um, and then when I got to graduate school at the University of Texas, uh, the chairman of the American Studies Department that I was getting my PhD in, he took me under his wing. And we've been friends for 40 years since. And that's where the emotionality started happening. Mm started talking about deeper, darker, traumatic uh, relationship stuff with him. Um, And then uh, in that same context, a woman, Dr. Betty Sue Flowers, uh, took me under her wing and introduced me personally to Robert Bly. Mm. How old were you at that time? I would have been uh, 32. she set it up for me to meet him at a, yes. at, a, at a seminar he was doing. Got me a scholarship because I didn't have any money. On mm-hmm. uh, and, and of course, now by the time we get to Bill Stott and my doctorate, and certainly by Robert Bly, now we are talking, you know, mentoring, talking about all the stuff that you know so well. Yeah. So that's a long version. But when I stop and think about it, I, I go, I didn't really trust men growing up because I mm. had real shitty uncles and mm-hmm. dad was an alcoholic, abusive. But these other men, I, I gravitated towards them. They gravitated towards me. Mm. And I'm still friends with all of them, 
Except Robert, who died last December. Yeah. Wow. I mean, uh, you know, as I'm hearing you talk about this, John, I'm reflecting back on my own life and and looking for who were the mentors, who were the the stewards, the guides. And honestly, man, I, 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 I come up pretty bereft. I come up pretty bankrupt. Yeah, certainly a few here and there, no doubt some. Uh, you know, one that stands out to me was my guidance counselor in middle school who, you know, in a, in a, in a, 10 minute meeting, maybe it was five, uh, was, was signing me up for high school courses. And I didn't know what the hell to do with my life. And he wasn't really checking in to inquire to see what I wanted to do. <laughs> and he just said, yeah, well, you should take Spanish. You know, you should just learn Spanish. I was like, okay. So I took a year of Spanish and it just came and went and it did nothing for me. And, and, you know, like that has been emblematic of the guidance in, in many ways, they like, think like overwhelmingly defined the, the mentoring that I've had for much of my life was just the, you know, the hapless, hurried guidance counselor who's like, well, I, you know, I don't who, who's incapable of really being curious and really listening into what is this being before me needing, wanting to express through itself. None of that. So much, none of that. And, um, well, that that's true of most men on the planet. That's why I, I you know, you, you said you were going to open with this question and yeah. boy, I started racking my brains. <laughs> what was the significant thing? Mm. And, and, and then I, I, re I developed this little string of sequential men mm. that, again, there was like no reason for it to happen. But I, I don't want to make too, too much of it because mm. my granddaddy, you know, at 13, he didn't take, set me down and say, let me, let me mm. give the secrets to life. Right. Yeah. No, he set me down and said, here's a peppermint stick. And right. now I'm gonna watch fake. <laughs> yeah, right. But that 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 impacted me. Yeah. Juxtaposed against my father, who didn't like me, didn't want really to have anything to do with me. I was more my mother's son than his son. Mm. You know, and and he he beat the shit out of him. Yeah. Whereas granddaddy would say. Uh, here's here's a 22 rifle, and I've cleaned out the chicken house. Now let's shoot rats. <laughs> oh man, it sounds delightful. And and yeah, the juxtaposition of the relationship with with your dad. You know, you know, John. I'll, I'll be talking to you more about this in the future. But you know, I just came from a, a very um, what's the word? I don't know. Uh, <sighs> important trip to see my father and boy you know <clears throat> it was actually a bit worse than i suspected oh yeah. yeah it was it was very it was actually very painful and very difficult in many oh, ways wow. <clears throat> um, but but you know i'm aware your father you you became a writer and author wrote a bunch of books and your father what was his response to your being an author uh not much <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I asked. I asked my mother one time. I said, "Mom, has Dad ever read any of my books?" She said, "Well, son, when I would send a book home when it came out, and, and yeah, of course, would read it." And yeah. He said, well, your dad would pick it up, and he'd read a page or two, and then he would say the same thing each time. I don't understand. Say it. You know, so it, it it really was that way. You know. Yeah. Well, 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 I, well, I, lo I love that your father had the, the, the awareness to say, I don't understand it. You know, <laughs> right. my dad doesn't have that awareness. My dad, wow. my dad uh, thinks he understands it, but then uses it against me in oh, wow. conversation. And, and uh, <clears throat> yeah, that, that's kind of what played out there is just like, okay, you, you didn't understand it. Yeah. Now, when, when my second book came out, well, let, let me talk about the first one and my dad. When the first one came out, my dad did read that one. And in a conversation we had, he said, now, everything you said in that book about me and you was mm -hmm. true. Mm -hmm. But I'm going to tell you, I don't ever want you to write anything where it casts your mother in a bad light. Mm -hmm. and, and he was serious about Blind Boy 2 and 3. Uh, I, I do write about the mother-son wound. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and he and I didn't talk for ten years. 
Wow. Wow. He was serious about that. I was serious about it, too. I go, when the second book came out, uh, he would call me and berate me and Mm. put me down and shame me. And I listened to a few of those calls. Mm. Finally, I hung up on him and said, until you can talk to me man to man uh, in an appropriate way, then we won't be speaking. Mm. And and that estrangement lasted 10 years. Mm while I'm doing men's conferences and men's group mm-hmm. with an estranged father. Mm. Yeah. Well, <laughs> well, boy, I, I mean, you know, here I am pushing, I'm 48 and again, I've been, I'm leading men in men's work, men's groups, you know, through my writing, through actual, you know, coaching and through the, mm-hmm. through the groups that I lead. And, and we talk a lot about our father stuff and, and yeah, boy, I, one of the things that I always let them know, I'm in it with you guys. I'm, I'm, I have as good a relationship as I can right now hope to have with my father. And it kind of sucks. It's a horrible relationship in terms of what I would want it to be. <clears throat> um, so I, I'm curious. So coming back into your, the, the evolution of your journey as a young man and, and coming into this work, what, what, why, well, a couple, two questions here. Why men's work? Like what, what called to you about specifically stepping into men's work? And then, and maybe you might even want to start with what is men's work? How do you define this thing we call men's work? Well, I'll start with how I got into it. Okay. And I'll try to define it so I don't, not, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But um, a buddy of mine that, that, Came from my same uh, part of uh, the country, and we grew up together. In 1979, he handed me an interview with Robert Bly. And that interview, the focus of that interview, or at least what stuck out to me, still does, was Robert said the doorway into deep masculine behavior and, and consciousness the, the doorway was grief. Mm, wow. I remember reading that mm. 79. And, and again, now I'm totally in my head. I wouldn't have mm. known it me on the ass. But I registered that literally as, now that's a good idea. That's a good idea. And then I left it. So then I moved to Austin, Texas to go to graduate school. And I meet this wonderful, wonderful, incredible woman. Um, and, and now by this time, I'm reading Robert's poetry. I'm listening to some of his uh, lectures, but still not connecting on an emotional level at all. It's a purely academic yeah. lecture. Yeah. Matter of fact, my dissertation was going to be uh, on uh, Robert Bly and this so-called thing called the men's move. But the woman left me after three years. And the two things she said to me when she finally left is, John, you're the angriest man I've ever known. And you're the saddest man I've ever wow. known. Wow. Wow. Both of those things in you. And you don't want me to express those wow. things. Oof. Now, I mm. and I approach even that statement intellectually. I said, I've never hit you, slapped you, pushed you, or shoved you. Where I came from in Appalachia, that's a good man <laughs> if he doesn't do those things. But what she meant was this form of rage that I had, criticism, judgmentalism, and shaming her and all that. So then it was like a light bulb went off and I thought, I've got to deal with this. It, it, I know she's right, but I don't know what she means. Yeah. I got to go find out what she means. But it took me so down into the ashes. Mm. Then I felt the truth of what Robert said about mm taking one into deep masculinity. I also realized that she was right, that I was holding on to decades of unexpressed anger as well. And that's where I made a a conscious decision. I'm going to to learn about and experience grief, but I'm also going to learn about and and deal with this pent-up anger that I 
am. And, and that was my entrance into the men's work. And, um, and uh, I started my first men's group in, in 1985. And in 1986, I opened the Austin Men's Center. Hmm men would come and do work uh, but back then it was all about catharsis and emotional release and, and body work and, mm. as opposed to all the stuff that I mean I've been reading Jung and Freud since I was 23 mm-hmm. you know so I was pursuing stuff like that intellectually but then and, and then I started working on my dissertation couldn't write it couldn't write it and uh, and Betty Sue Flowers knew my interest in Robert, and she said, "Let's let's go to this conference, and you're going to meet him." And that sent me on the trajectory that still informs me and my work. Mm. Wow! Oh my goodness! I mean, so much in what you've just shared. I'm I'm again. I'm I'm I'm. What's today? Thursday. I got back from my dad's place on monday you know i spent five four four and a half days with him and i had i barely seen him in the last 10 15 years but but for a couple hours at a time here and there and um you know one of the things that that i got we got into a a really intense argument probably a few of them but one in particular (laughs) and by intense argument i mean i'm intense and he's 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 doing his best to not express any anger, be and be 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 very stoic. And I remember at one point, because uh, I'm allowing my anger, I, I think I have a healthier relationship with my anger than I ever have. Uh-huh. Uh, and anyway, so I'm I'm expressing my anger as skillfully as I can, surely being unskillful. But at one point, he he essentially was telling me see you're angry you're letting your anger get you you shouldn't be like something you shouldn't be angry you you and i'm I'm just so struck by <clears throat> i also used to believe that i should never get angry right me too me too and i was so fucking angry yeah me too i remember one time before i started the men's work yeah but i was here in austin and uh, that buddy who who said that gave me the article he was living here so I came to join him. Short story is I was helping him move and I was exhausted that day. Mm. He asked me to help him move. I wanted to say no, but I said yes. Mm-hmm. And he back then, and he still is, sort of, he was very impatient. He does everything like this. And mm. we were moving and he, come on, John, let's go. Come on, come on. But, but what why I tell the story is, is finally I, I, I just couldn't take anymore. Mm. Started sobbing. Tears started running. Mm. And and Daryl said, John, what's wrong with you? And I said, right now, I'm so angry at you. Mm. Never forget his response. He said, you don't look angry. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. And, and then so when Laurel came and said, you're the angriest man, mm-hmm. you know, I, I I just didn't want to be an angry guy because my dad and my uncles were all angry and raging. Um, and so I didn't want to be that. I taught yeah. religious studies at the college. I want to be a spiritual guy, not an angry guy. Yeah. Wow. Um so I'm, I'm curious at that time, I mean, you, you've been now in, well, actually men's work. What are we talking about? Let, let's, let's enter that for a moment. What are we talking about men's when we say men's work? Boy, let me see if I can just enumerate a, a few things. The first big men's work that most men have to do at some point in their life is to deal with the father-son wound. I mean, that sort of began deep men's work as Robert Michael Mead and James Hillman taught it. And as I taught it early on in my conferences, that that in order to be to do be a man, you have to do men's work that is uh, consisting of healing this father-son wound that most men, including myself, was in denial about. Yeah. Still uh, perpetrating on the people that we love. And this is, yeah, let's stay here for a moment because I want to highlight what are some of the ways that you see men are in denial of this 
father-son wound? Like, what are some of the, the things that may emerge from their mouths? It's it's the same thing that emerged from my mouth. <laughs> I was asked. Uh, I told a, a therapist at 32, um, and Laurel had left. And I, I was telling them about my dad uh, having beaten me at early ages. And he said, so are you angry about that? And I said, well, not really. I mean, mm. I really deserved it. I was pretty much a handful. Right. And dad, you know, was doing the mm. best good. He was putting food over on the table, mm. over our heads, clothes on our back. In other words, I don't want to answer your question. I don't want to be mm. beatings. I don't want to be angry. Yeah. You know, and I saw him nine sessions before I ever punched a pillow yelling mm. at how angry I was at my father. The thing that, like this new client I had uh, two days ago, he goes, well, I had a pretty healthy childhood, I think. And mm -hmm. uh, it was pretty good. And uh, I said, well, tell me about your relationship to your father. And he said, well, he and my mother divorced when I was 10 years old, and I didn't really see him much after that. And I go, bud, that's what we call a father-son wound. He's yeah. absent from your life. Yeah. He's, not, he's not involved with you. And and the guy went, oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Maybe you're right. And yeah. this very smart, intelligent guy yeah. who had never thought he was wounded by his father. The second part of the men's thing that, that I had to come to, but it was it came a couple of years or two later after the flying boy came out and after I was running men's group was the mother son wound that I nor anybody or any man wanted to talk about. Mm. But I realized that that wound whew, was impacting my relationship with women and, and lovers at a level that is terrifying back then. But I, you know, in, in the South, as indeed many cultures, and maybe over the United States, but especially in the South, you did not bring up anything derogatory or negative about your mother, you know. Hence your father not speaking to you for 10 years, for Absolutely. even suggesting that there may or have been something. Or I can yeah. talk about could talk about that. Mm. And it was like, I'll never forget this. This is so mother-son stuff. So I had uh, like three books come out, and and mo and the first two a lot had a lot about the father son wound. And my mother one day said, "So, what are you going to do to me, into <laughs> your father?" Uh, and I got so mad at her because uh, I thought even my mother knows I got a mother wound <laughs> <laughs> that needs to be treated. You know? mm. So I did. I. I I said, yeah, you're right. I've got to do. Mm. My mother was a smothering, sort of vampire-ish. Uh, I was her surrogate husband, counselor, mm. confidant. Oh, talk about the woundedness. So, yeah. so the father-son wound, the mother-son wound, that was sort of the foundational work of men's work for a long time and still kind of is, mm -hmm. you know. And then there's offshoots of, of, of that. Uh, men's work around money issues. Men's work around parenting issues. Uh, but the father-son and the mother-son is, is where most of us started. Yeah. Yeah, it's fascinating right, right now. So I, I run a year-long men's coaching program called Elevate, Elevate 2023. We're in the midst of right now. It's a, uh, it's a small group, you know, eight to 10 men. We, we go through it a whole year together. Mm -hmm. uh, Elevate 2024 will be coming up and it will be starting that in a few months or launching it anyway. And just this past week, we dove into the father wound. And normally our, our sessions are two hours, you know, zoom, we've got, you know, our, our whatever we're, we're 10 ish guys on zoom. And we have a bunch of really powerful and, and revealing reflection questions, really. As we're exploring the father wound, we're doing a lot of inquiry, self-inquiry, reflection and revealing in the presence of other men. And, you know, one of the two hours, well, two hours, we were just barely getting started. 
you know, two hours. I said to my, my co-facilitator is like, okay, dude, next, next year we need to do at least three hours. And even then we'll still just be getting started. Once men start talking about the, the woundings of our, of our fathers, we could say, oh, there is an, uh, grief was coming through. Men were tears were being revealed anger, but that same John, that same, even men that were beaten, like, like, you know, you were beaten. I was more neglected. My dad took off at four and we had a great relationship because he was never around. He was, he was a superhero in my brain. Yeah. It was a fantasy. Holiday, holiday dad. <laughs> there you go. Holiday, those are pretty great. Holiday dads yeah. are pretty great. There's very little disciplining going on, you know, it's just money and candy yeah. and hugs. Yeah. And, um, and, but when I got to know him as an adult, holy shit, who is, I don't like this asshole. Who is this fucker? Right. But yeah. that I I think I was, I'm 48. I think I was 39 Mm. when I first stood in a, in a group of men and, and what, what came screaming out of my mouth was, how could you leave me alone? You Mm. asshole, you Mm. asshole, you left me alone. Like, whoa, where'd that come from? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Where did that come from? That right there is, is the key. Um, The absent father, whether he's emotionally absent, physically absent, spiritually absent. That's the father that most men had, and a lot of men still have, is an absent father. Yeah. In this country now, 50% of the households is a single parent household, and that's usually the mother and the son. Very seldom is it the father takes over the, the total child. So in my generation, uh, and, and some to follow, but not so much before me. See, my dad and his dad worked side by side in the field. And as Robert articulated so well, the Industrial Revolution came mm-hmm. out of the house. Father comes back in after work, exhausted, tired, doing a job he hates. He gets a beer, a newspaper, turns on the news, goes to bed. And repeat, repeat, repeat. And and so the only person that's raising me is my mom. Mm-hmm. And so I take on this, what I what I wrote about many years ago, uh, I take on this false feminine mm-hmm. that I'm I'm trying to be gentle and spiritual and and, and stuff, uh, almost more like my mother was. Uh, and and so one of the things that Robert and, and others and I talked about what, at these men's conferences back in the 80s and 90s was a lot of men had, con- like me, had convinced themselves that they were deeply in touch with their feminine side. Yeah. And what I realized and, and later wrote about was, no, I, I, I was demonstrating what I call a false feminine. Mm-hmm. Because I had not really embraced masculinity. I, I had exiled it. Yeah. And the women, girls and women, loved me because I acted, pretended like I had this feminine component that, mm-hmm. you know, uh, because I got trained to listen to my mother at four five. You know, at 18, when a woman would talk, I would just, just mm, you could be really present and really You're so listening to me. Yeah. <laughs> I never had that before. <laughs> yeah. And I go, I look back and go, shit, I just wanted to get in the band. Uh, uh-huh. Yeah. But, but this is how I would pretend, you know. You're listening to Men This Way. I'm your host, Brian Reeves. I trust you're feeling inspired by today's conversation, and I want to cut in real quick and ask you a question. Are you a man in a relationship that's struggling? Maybe your partner ain't happy and you don't know what she really wants from you or how to give it to her. Maybe you're not happy, and no matter what you do, you just don't know how to make things better. And do you want to make things better? Well, if you're thinking, yeah, to any of those questions, then you need to know about my new free training for men ready to create a truly thriving, intimate relationship, even when you're struggling. In this free training, I teach you the three key pillars of intimacy that you must learn to embody if you want to shift from the relationship sucking to finally unlocking the freedom, 
desire and passion both you and your partner crave. And that is possible for you. And this isn't some stupid platitude. Like this is real. I've been coaching men, women, and couples for over 10 years now. And I'm also married to my lovely bride of eight years. I know the mistakes we men make. I know the misunderstandings that trip us up. I know how our always good intentions too often just get us in trouble. And I know what you can do and say instead of the things you normally do and say that could actually help you start to fulfill your partner's deepest desires without losing yourself or sacrificing what really matters to you in the process. I know what she needs from you on a deeper level that will help her feel safe so she can more fully open herself to you. I know you're probably dying to end whatever stubborn conflicts you keep having. Or maybe you avoid conflict and you're finally seeing that doesn't work either. I know how to help you end unnecessary conflict and do conflict in skillful ways so that you can reliably create safety and trust that ultimately results in more peace and ease and freedom and connection for both of you. If your sexual relationship is stagnant or non-existent or somehow just not deeply satisfying to you both, and you want to know how to consistently foster affection and physically, emotionally, and even spiritually fulfilling sex, then do this. Go watch my free training video at training.elevaterelationship.com. This link will be in the show notes for this episode. It's also on my website. Seriously. If you're a man who is genuinely ready to thrive in intimate relationship, watch my free training video, The Three Secrets to a Thriving Relationship, even if you're currently struggling. The link is training.elevaterelationship.com. Again, training.elevaterelationship.com. It's less than 20 minutes. It's free, and it could totally change the relationship game for you. All right. Let's pick up where we left off with today's guest on Men This Way. One of the really significant distinctions, I suppose, that, that, that you really helped open up for me that I've been working with these past few months, and even it revealed itself in this visit where I went to my father. Uh, you know, I've been working on for, for many years now, t- speaking to him the truths that I had been with, withholding for a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, being my own man in my relationship uh-huh. with him. And it's, it's been a work in progress for many years. Cause I don't see him, but more than a few hours every few years for the most part. I mean, literally I'll see him for two hours in a hotel room when he happens to be in town every three years or so, you know, and in the last, I don't know, 15 years I've, 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 I've had, you know, long weekend visits with him twice. So it's hard to do a lot of work when we're not in contact very much. And our phone calls, you know, tend to not be that, 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 mm, I don't know, enjoyable, let's just say for, for me. So anyway, this is, I, I, so this is the distinction that came up in in one of our, our sessions. The, 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 I I don't know, the practice, I suppose, of to, to stop sunning your father. Mm -hmm. That was a revelation for me. I'd never really heard it put like that. Say more about that. I was, I was um, on tour. I was like 36 years old. Flying boy was doing really well. And I was on a recovery tour with these incredible authors that you have read about, know about. But uh, we went to Australia on tour. We went to a bunch of cities. But there was this one man. His name was Dr. Cruz. And and uh, he was really big in the in the in the recovery circles. And his wife was Sharon Wickshire Cruz, and she was on tour with us. And she was really a big mama and big queen in uh, in recovery. But I was telling Doctor Cruz about me and my dad, and how we don't get along. Mm. How we had this this clash every time we would see each other, and I was just going on about that. And he, I said to him, you know, what's that about? I'm 56, <laughs> teaching college since I was 25, written a couple of books. Uh, and he said, he just looked at me and he said, well, you're still sunning your father. And I said, what? <laughs> yeah. He said, yeah, you're still sunning. I said, what does that mean? Yeah. And he said, 
when you get with your father, no matter what age you are or what you've accomplished, you act like a son. He talks to you like a son. He stays the father to a 36-year-old man. And, and that's the dynamic. And that's the dynamic that you need. Well, that coincided deeply with the, my flying boy book and the work with men and the Austin men said, but I never heard anything like mm. so profound. Mm-hmm. And to this day, I, I still talk to men and I hear it that they're still yeah. the son and they're 55 years old. Mm-hmm. And when they go home to visit their elderly father, he becomes a father mm. and they become fun. <laughs> I had a funny incident about this about two years ago. It's very funny. Me and my dad repaired to a large degree. We got back together. Mm-hmm. He put me back in the will. <laughs> but about a couple of years ago, I went home. So I would have been like 69. And, uh, and so we, I come home and my dad kind of jokingly says, Oh, when are you going to get rid of that beard and cut your hair? Mm. I said, listen, Dad, you got to understand that you can't say shit like that to somebody that's eligible to be in an old folks home. <laughs> <laughs> you know? mm-hmm. But but by then, I'm turning that yeah, or so to speak, because I had dealt with it at such, I'm going to stop being this man's son. Yeah. Either talk man to man or we don't talk. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so again, this weekend with my dad, there was, um, my dad for, for, for so much when I was a teenager, he would harbor this thing over me, which makes sense when I'm a teenager, I suppose, or when I'm a kid is like, you know, when you're ready, son, X will be revealed, whatever life will reveal Mm -hmm. some big secret. The secrets will be revealed. He didn't use those exact words, but he would use the words when you're ready a lot. And which implies that I'm not ready. Fine. I'm 10. I'm 12. I'm 15. Got it. Okay, cool. Yeah, that makes sense. I'm not ready. I know I'm not ready. I it's in my bones. I know I'm not ready. I because because I haven't been initiated. I don't know. Because there's there's something to come. I get it. Well, that day never came. There was never a day where I crossed any threshold, certainly not in his eyes. And even this past weekend, there was a moment where he said again, you're not ready. And I said to him, Dad, I'm fucking 48 years old. When am I going to be ready for whatever this thing is that you think will be revealed to me? I was like, this is just, can we give this up now? Can you just like, could you, we just drop this? <laughs> and I mean, there's a lot I'm not sharing here just because this is also a public forum. And, uh, you know, I want to res- pr- pr- protect my, my father's very unique brand of insanity uh, from, from, from public ears at, at this time. Um, but that same, you know, it was very helpful to go back into this relationship with him. And it was very difficult. It was very, very painful for me at the same time because of the heaviness that, that he's living inside of mm-hmm. Bur- the burdens that he is uniquely carrying. He is solely carrying, he's carrying massive amounts of burden. And like, it's almost like in a way in his mind, I'll be ready I, I don't know. I don't know what I have to, what criteria I have to, <laughs> to, 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 uh, to, to assume the same burden. Yes. That, that he failed to shed. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. You have, and, when you know a burden like I know and have lived all these years, then you will be ready. Then you will know what I'm talking about. Exactly. And one of the things that I decided, you decided, is I, I will carry some burdens, but they won't be the same kind you carry. Yeah, yeah. Therefore, you won't understand my burdens. But luckily, as I get older and older, I will begin to understand your burdens. Dad. Yeah, yeah. But you'll never understand my burdens because yeah. they're apples and oranges. But some of your burden, uh, I understand now at 60 that I didn't understand, mm-hmm. 35 or 40. And so that that may be part of what he's saying is, when you've walked in my shoes, then you'll know. It's certainly part of it. And again, I'll share more with you, you know, off, off, uh, offset 
right. as as it were, yeah, because yeah, it's yeah. it's a it's a unique brand of of um, delusionality, I think. But but all the same, the 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 the, the, the sunning my father. You know, had I gone there, and and look, I'm sure a part of me will always sun my father. But mm-hmm. but but knowing that the bigger part of me went there as my own man. This, your choices are not my choices. Your reality is not my reality. I'm, and I'm bringing my eyes, my ears, my voice, my being. You've invited me into your home. Here I come. Hear me roar. Like it or not. <laughs> and I said that. Like here it or I not. Come. Hurricane Brian, here we go. This is, this is what you get. But I'm only here for three days. So don't worry. It's not, you know, I'll breeze in and blow out. Just like a real hurricane. Um, anyway, I, I'm, uh, I'm curious John, as you're you're in your seventies now, and and you've been doing this work a long time, uh, I know it's taken various formats over the years. How has your relationship to this work, working with men, to your own relationship to your work? I mean, how how has this all evolved for you over the years? Does that does that question make sense? Well, it, it's evolved with experience and age. Yeah. Like, for instance, I was sort of being treated like an elder prematurely. Yeah, I can relate to that. So, so I would be at a men's gathering, either mine or mine and Robert's or something. Yeah. And a 70 or 80 year old man would be sitting in the audience listening to me yeah. sit, which would <laughs> yeah. now looking back. Yeah. Um, but so over the decade, you know, I, to a large degree, Thanks to Robert Bly, my relationship uh, over the decades, I watched him elder, and and then I, in my forties, my fifties, he and I started teaching together. I think when I was um, forty four, forty five. So I was with him a lot, and I would see how being an elder looked, sounded, and and so that was a big part of how. As my decades pass, now at almost 72, I, I live into that elder place, not so much with confidence, but with a lot of gratitude for having worked with men, thousands and thousands of men now. And, and, you know, to be seen as an elder at this stage of, of my career is one of the great joys of my life. Mm. I have about a half a dozen young men, uh, anywhere from 35 to 50, who interact with me, not so much as a men's movement guy, but an elder who has been involved with men mm, yeah. for 38 years. And that's a great blessing to me, to be seen that way. Yeah. Uh, now, sadly, because of the virus, the whole men's gatherings in person, and stuff that I did for so long has totally gone away, you know, Mm. for me, not, I mean, there's people like you doing these Mm. work, people Mm. in San Francisco do, but in terms of getting on a plane, flying to Utah and speaking to 150 men, that's over for me and will probably never come back. Mm. I get to do Zoom and podcasts, Mm. those kind of things with somebody like you who is on the same page, mm-hmm. basically. And watching you, hopefully watching me, by the time you're in your 60s and 70s, I mean, probably one of the greatest things of my men's work was getting to sit beside the master of men's work, the king mm-hmm. of men's work. And, and also... The fact that the king never lorded that over me at any time mm. was very healing on levels that I, I won't be able to explain if I'm 90 years old. Like I, I feel, I can intuitively just feel so this, it. This, this is how, it, first time Robert and I got together, we were at a men's conference in uh, California, and they put me and him in the same cabin for the for the weekend. Mm. And up to that time, we talked on the phone or, or whatever, but we hadn't. So long story short, I know we're running out of time. Um, 
we were walking. Now he'd read The Flying Boy and he'd been supportive of it and supportive of, of my career. So two things happened that weekend. He said, uh, Al, you're that guy who's written The Flying Boy. Right? I said, yeah, that's right. And I thank you for mentioning it on your tapes. And uh, he said, and, and you've written some other books, right? And he said, and you sent them to me for an endorsement, right? I said, absolutely. He said, did I ever endorse any? I said, absolutely not. <laughs> and he said, so you're mad at me, right? And I said, absolutely not. Uh-huh. He said, why? Everybody <laughs> I don't respond to is mad at me. Uh-huh. Because you're not my father. That before I met you, I was doing the father-son wound mm-hmm. for four years. And so, no, you, I'm not mad at you. You're not my damn daddy. You've already given me more than my mm-hmm. daddy. Yeah. You know, from afar. Yeah. Um, and then a couple of days later, we were taking a walk together. And he said, I'm going to ask you something. I said, okay. He said, uh, what am I doing wrong with men? Now, this is 1988 or 89, somewhere in there, 90, somewhere in there. And I said, you really want my opinion? And he said, yeah. I said, uh, you and James and Michael uh, tend to shame men at these conferences that y'all mm-hmm. that I listen to. And some of my men's guys have told me about being shamed. And I said, I, I, uh, these these men have been shamed enough in their life, and I would encourage you to get rid of that shit. Mm-hmm. He said, I, we really do that? I said, yeah. You know, somebody says, Robert, I wish you were my dad. And you say, throw that man out of the window and ban him from all future conferences. Like, oh, mm-hmm. You don't need to hear that shit. You know, mm-hmm. you don't want to hear him. So he said, ow. But, you know. Mm-hmm. And so I, as we were walking, he said, okay, that, all right. And then I thought, now I need to ask him the same thing. What am I doing wrong? And I said, so what am I doing wrong? And he told me what I was doing. And he was right, you know. Um, what were you doing wrong? That uh, my first three books was uh, personal narrative. And when I'd give talks at men's things, I would go more into the personal uh huh. John, you're an educated uh, intellectual, and uh, you you didn't finish your doctorate, but you're you know you're an academic. Yeah. You hide that. You you push uh-huh. that aside because you're afraid uh, that you can't hold your own. And he said, and you can. And now I want you to bring some of that back. Mm. Interesting. And he was right. You know. Well. I I don't know how right he was about my intelligence, but he was right that right. I was trying to be the blue collar to his intellectual persona. Mm. Wow. I, I, I know there's so many more stories and teaching stories and insights. I mean, I want to just mine that for, for, for more, but I, I have just, just a few more questions to, before we wrap up. One, one of the things I'm really curious about is, is if you think men are struggling with different issues today, or if they're still kind of the same over these, you know, last 40, 50 years, has much changed? Or are we? Yes and no. Yeah, that's what that's immediately came to my mind as a pro- answer is yes probably no. going to be yes and no. Yes and no. Yeah. I had a 19 year old guy call me uh, not long ago. He'd just gotten back uh, from a tour of duty, you know, wherever it was, Afghanistan or, or wherever. And he'd read The Fine Boy. Fine Boy's 38 years old, still in print, but 38 years old. And he said, I, I wonder, I like the book and I enjoyed the book, but I was wondering if you would work with me. And I said, well, bud, you know, I'm so out of touch with your generation. I said, I can't imagine I'd be of any use to me. And he said, listen, my father was absent. He was physically abusive. He was alcoholic. And to top it all, he was raised in the South like you were. So I think we'll be fine. (laughs) Okay, damn it. I was (laughs) You'd say, you're right, John, we have nothing in common. Right, right, right. Now, the one thing, the two things that are still there, but most men don't work on it anymore much or think about it. It's not written about. 
Robert coined the term soft male, which mm -hmm. I was one and he was one. Mm -hmm. Soft male. Mm -hmm. And I see that softness, especially in 30 and under, right and left, soft male, who has not entered into men's work thinking they don't need it, thinking their fathers were great mm -hmm. fathers and mothers were great mothers. So that's the same. That's the same. The entitled 30-year-old guy, you know, very different in my my generation, even though I, too, became a fault, a, a soft male because of the feminization that I got. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, it, 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 it makes tragic sense that I don't know if you've heard the name Andrew Tate. Yeah, I think I have somebody. I've, me I've mentioned him a few times on this podcast only because he's probably the most well-known name in, I don't even know what. In circles or men? Well, the, the, the world of, of masculinity, let's say. But he's a, and this is my personal opinion, he's a horrible human being. He is teaching all, uh, he's teaching some of the right things in really fucking horrible ways. And, and he's teaching, he's teaching men how to be, how to be hard. Let's say that, I guess that's why this comes up for me. The soft male makes sense. We got so many of that, so, so much soft maleness going on that a, that a, that a corrosive, awful, misogynistic, brute of a man comes along and has a, has a direction to offer that a lot of men would flock to that because he yeah. does have, he has a power yeah. that is I've lacking. Heard, I've heard a few other men say the same thing. And because of that, I've never really looked them up. Yeah. So. Yeah. And I don't like to keep talking about him on my podcast. It's just that, yeah. you know, for the sake of contrast, <laughs> he's a good contrast. I have a 50, 50 year old client psychologist and he followed another prominent masculine guy yeah yeah and one of the guy's main teachings was how men could get laid and should get laid as often as possible uh, and i just told my client go please yeah. listen to that shit yeah 50 years old and this guy just saying whatever guy who's ill traumatized yeah to hear, how can I get laid more? Yeah. Yeah. Now, the other thing I'm going to respond to about this, for, for the benefit of my dear friend, Robert Bly, I don't care. I'm at a place where I don't care too much. I completely not care, but too much. Whether men cite my work or not that are out there doing so-called mm -hmm. men's stuff. Mm -hmm. I get very upset when I'll hear one of these guys present something that Robert presented in mm. 1986 and won't attribute mm. to him. Mm. So one of the things that I, I made myself a commitment to is that I would always, mm. no matter how old I got, I was always going to attribute to Robert mm. because it makes me mad. Yeah. These guys say something uh, and you go, that's right out of Robert Bly's place. Mm. He's yeah. not, he doesn't even know who Robert Bly is. Yeah. You know, you know what I attribute this to having been in this profession or this world, this domain for probably the last 15 years. And I, I see this a lot, same in teachers. And I went through my own phase of, of wanting to be the one responsible for the good insight. I think in a world where everybody wants to be special and so many of us men, particularly, we not only do we not feel special, we feel left alone. I got to be the hero. I have to be the hero. And the only way I can be the hero is if I'm the one that came up with the good insight. I see this, this I think is rampant in, in the world right now. The hero complex, the hero archetype playing out in, in through these, you know, 27, 30 year old wisdom teachers, you know, in, influencers, we call them. Yeah. So I, I understand you, man. I really get that. And, and there's, I, there's this young man I'm, I've been working with. He's a psychologist, psychotherapist, the name Mick, uh, Mikey Brackett. And uh, we're going to do a, a thing later in the fall. 
called from hero to artist. Hmm. Uh, and and part of that is to get rid of this hunger to be the hero and, and let the person be more artistic in their hmm. life than be heroic in their life. Interesting. Um, and uh, I'll let you know about that when it Please, is that going to be publicly available Yeah, online? it's going to be a webinar or okay. or whatever you call it. Well, I'll definitely help. September or October. I'll be... Been thinking about it a lot. I was brought up to be the hero. Yeah. I played out the hero. Yeah. In my 30s and then less in my 40s, less in my 50s. And yeah. then have a heart attack at 59. You have to really start... <laughs> Oh, hero shit, you know, uh, <laughs> and, and uh, so that that's part of it. Well, this is, I've enjoyed this more than I can tell you. I, thank I you. Do this, you know, much. I mean, as I told you when we planned it, you know, I'll get a podcast uh, interviewer who'll say, Tell me about your anger work. Yeah. Focus on anger. And, and I enjoy it, but this is so conversational and and it's not really affixed to one particular theme. So yeah, yeah. Thank you so much. Yeah. Bob on you. Thank you. You did great. I appreciate you for having me on. And well, thank you, John. You you've been a, a blessing in my life. Um you were a, you were a gift. You, you, the connection with you was gifted to me by one of the men uh, who was my coaching client, who heard my need for, for wanting to work with an older man in, in a therapeutic context. And, and uh, he had worked with you before his name is Sean. And, and so I'm so oh, yeah, grateful yeah. to him, so grateful to him for making that connection and, you know, just really enjoying getting to know you, getting to work with you and, and to be able to have this kind of conversation with you and, and, um, well, let's do it again sometime in the future. I will definitely love to do it again because there's so many more questions I want to ask. Uh, but we'll 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 hold it there. I'll direct people to your books to and and of course when you're ready with that um, hero to artist experience, I'm all about helping you uh, helping bring people to that. Uh, John, I, th I think we could we could end it there. I'm I'm yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm really grateful. Feels right Thank to you. me. Thank you, sir. And thank you so much. You did a great job, and I sure enjoy telling these. It's my Robert Bly stories. Thank you so much for listening, and thank you again to John Lee. You can find John and his books, The Flying Boy, and other books on Amazon and other platforms. And of course, that link and any additional resources will be in the show notes at brianreeves.com slash menthiswaypodcast. And also remember, if you'd like to experience empowering transformational coaching with me to help elevate your intimate relationship experience, go to elevaterelationship.com and fill out the application on that page to get started on your coaching journey with me. Elevaterelationship.com. And finally, please take a moment to write a review of this podcast right now on your podcast app. Doing so helps me immensely and it also helps other people realize this is a trustable space. I deeply appreciate it. And don't forget to subscribe yourself while you're at it. I'm your thriving life and relationship coach, Brian Reeves, Brian with a Y, Reeves. Until soon, keep your head up, your breath relaxed, and your thoughts inspired.